Welcome, welcome, everybody, back to a new episode of the UW Film Club podcast, where each week we invite a member of the club onto the show to talk about a film of their choice, whether it be good, bad, topically relevant, or anything in between, it's all on the table. I'm your host, Rohan Patel, and joining me today for a special annual episode of the podcast, we have Stephanie, Sydney, Maddie, and PJ. How are y'all doing? I'm good. Good. So good. I'm okay. Okay. <laughs> so that's three goods and one okay. PJ, why do you descend to being good? I don't know. Okay. Just to be quirky. Just to be quirky? Yeah, sure. I'm quirked up. Alrighty. So everybody will now remember PJ from this point on in the podcast, right? Alright, yeah. That's okay. Cool. How's, how's everybody else doing? We're recording this right at the beginning of Dead Week. Probably not the smartest decision for any of us right now. But how's, how's everybody feeling though? relieved in about to better, be done with it hopefully so better than piper obviously <laughs> yeah better than yeah, piper that's for sure yeah we already had piper we love and miss very much yes, yes we love not piper you know we'll we'll figure out if piper listen to this by if she compliments us yeah piper we love you but if you don't respond to us Piper, saying we love you we're gonna fine. get very mad yeah piper if you're listening to this text us the quadratic equation <laughs> That's a good test. Okay, I like that. I she's a Middle Eastern studies major. She's not going to know what the quadratic is. Isn't it just A? Is it? Isn't it A squared plus B squared equals C squared? That is no. What? That is, that is Pythagorean theorem. Oh, what? Hyper, don't listen to us. Google. X equals the opposite of B plus or minus the square root of B squared minus 4 times AC. No, nope. that's how you solve a quadratic equation. Solve it? Okay, that's Pythagorean theorem. That is, okay. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. Let's put this behind us. Really I'm going senile so that's my excuse it's all good um but yeah so thank y'all for being here uh so this is our annual top 10 podcast so um we all watched more than at least 10 movies in 2021 so uh we're gonna uh for those unfamiliar we're gonna go down our lists list our top 10 our top 10 films from 10 to 1 this is going to be a two-part podcast so hopefully you'll stick around for both the beginning and the conclusion but before we get into any honorable mentions or um any of the films that are in our top 10 i want to ask everybody how was 2021 movie watching we were back to movie theaters we were um in a weird release sort of schedule of just like things just moved every so often so how was how was everybody like in the movies generally speaking and watching them this past year it was just interesting because there were a lot of big releases that had been pushed back from like previous years so sometimes it felt like overwhelming you know yeah i felt like a lot of films came out at the same time and it was kind of hard to keep up with what was being released but it was also exciting like two from ridley scott in one month yeah one of significantly better quality than the other also streaming services i think were like a huge like they yeah they were they were pretty good this year at least i thought better than usual i think Mm -hmm. yeah i mean honestly i forgot how much i missed like having something to do in terms of just like i could like if i have nothing to do with my life i can just like go and watch a movie yeah just in a theater by myself and i felt very like at peace with that part that like it was becoming a much bigger part of my life and then the pandemic happened and that was very yeah. unfortunate but um i know i was very fortunate to, to at least have yeah. that that yeah, that, sure. that experience back for sure mm-hmm. kind of yeah. bummed that we're going back to like not virtual i i mean i'm not bummed but 
having virtual film festivals was great for a while. I'm like, I'm not too bummed that it's going back because I feel like that would kind of kill the allure of going in person for some people. I mean, it would. I think the big the big part for filmmakers is like, because I, I went to I went to TIFF this past year and online like I, they had like a bunch of filmmakers were like their movies were pirated off of mm-hmm. like the online. So I think that was a big concern with a lot of people doing online. But like a lot of festivals, like I think their virtuals, if they have an in-person virtual, like they'll be like requiring people to be on the virtual in order to be considered for awards. So I don't know if that'll stick. Honestly, though, like, I do love watching Sundance at home and, like, having yeah, that experience um, of sort of... Nice. It's the optimal experience of, like, writing first in, like, the first comment section of anything, you know? And, maybe, like, maybe just Sundance online because it is, like, mainly indie films and it's a right. lot of films that, like, you wouldn't really get to see elsewhere. Like, there's movies that I watched at 2021 Sundance that still haven't come out, like, haven't been distributed elsewhere. So, yeah, like, bigger bigger festivals like TIFF, I think... I see, like, being more in person, but I think it would be kind of cool if Sundance stays at least partially online, especially because Park City is so expensive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Stephanie, any thoughts? I think it's just nice to go back to screenings in the movie theater. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. there's, like, I think in film club, there's, like, a community aspect to screenings, and I miss that a lot. Yeah. For sure. I'm yeah. really glad that we yeah. got to do that again. Yeah, we're going to plug Joint Film Club. Joint Film Club. Get yeah. film students. <laughs> if you somehow discovered our podcast and are like, what are we? Yeah, we're just like a college film club at University of Washington. We get like people listening from Columbus, Ohio, though I think our SoundCloud statistics are a little off in that department. But if you're, yeah, screenings are pretty cool. Any more, any more thoughts from anybody? Um, I'll say... Um... I sort of went into the end of the year sort of thinking, like, it wasn't, like, a spectacular year of film or anything, but I ended up re-watching a lot of the movies that were near or at the top of my list and just, like, totally changed my perspective on it. And yeah. Like, I feel like, you know, definitely a, a, a banner year for a film this year, up there with 2019 for me, for sure. Yeah, I would... I, I, I think this is sneakily underrated like i, I agree like up until like that, i would say like the mm-hmm. green knight which we may or may not talk about later um was like i would say the first really great film that i saw and after yeah. that because before that like everything i pretty much could have passed on but i agree like that latter half came in came in the clutch yeah that was number one on my list for a long time yeah it was yeah, me too. Too. yeah there were a like my like top four of like all time if you're looking at like letterbox which is kind of silly to that i don't know but like a movie from this year entered my top four of like all time and there were a couple that are like close to that if not like some of my favorites of all time so i thought it i thought it was generally pretty good I definitely saw a lot of stinkers too, but that's with any beer. Yeah. You yeah. balance out that bell curve on that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The curve. Yeah. The Oscars would suggest that it was kind of a mediocre year, but I think oh otherwise, it's been pretty yeah. Good. yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, but when, yeah. when have the Oscars ever reflected the actual best thing? Yeah, true. Aside from yeah. maybe like two or three years, arguably. Yeah. But that is neither here or there. We're here <laughs> we'll to talk. We're year. we're here to talk about what we think the Oscars should should do in terms of our favorite top tens. That's because a weird way. We have opinions. Exactly. And those opinions must be shared. Exactly. Or so, else we will implode. Speak for yourself. <laughs> 
yeah, so I think we'll we'll start getting into into our top ten list. So we're first gonna go around, just share like a couple quick thoughts on honorable mentions. These aren't films that any of us have on our top tens, but we think you know should be should be mentioned. And so I'll go first. Um, I got three honorable mentions here. Um, the first one's a net. Um, I saw this on uh, in a theater, which I think was the uh, even though it came out on Prime, which is the craziest thing to think about, um, because if you have not seen the net, it is absolutely the wildest film I think I saw this year in terms of how much it goes to bat. And not that I was a big Sparks fan before, and I'm not after, but I did like the music, and I feel like I personally like the music, and I loved just how much it took it's not a perfect film by any means but honestly like there's so much speaking of the horrible things that even out our bell curves there's just so much that doesn't take care to actually take a risk i feel like in a lot of movies these days and so to see annette just sort of go out there in a weird way with the musical i i absolutely loved so that's 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 my first one my second one is memoria um it was a new film from a peach pong Weirsicle. Listen, to, I, I'll just copy DJ's <laughs> audio over and over again. You do a real quick cut, cut right there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Happy chat, Pong. It's easier to say. You can say yeah. that. He's, he goes by Ty Joe as well. So For the Westerners. Yes, I'm a but Westerner. We can be. No, I'm, you can be. You can be better than us, PJ. I'm just gonna... geographically the closest to his true. Yeah. yeah he, um, anyway, I talked about this with PJ like many times before, but I think... We saw this together. Yeah, we saw this together at TIFF, and... Um, it's very sad that although a boss moved that he literally is treating this like an art exhibit and showing it at like one theater at one time and just like supposedly going to travel around and it's never going to be on streaming or DVD or anything like that. In the U.S. It's, In the it's U.S. It's on streaming elsewhere. Yeah. But, so, I mean, if you want to pirate it or VPN it, go for it. But and I would recommend it because it is truly one of the most um, uh, in terms of a sensory experience at the movies. Um, he's not really strong on a huge plot narrative, sort of just like a thing, but watching it and the experience of watching it is sort of unlike anything I think I can compare. It, his movies, I cannot compare it to any, any person, I think, living oh, yeah. or past. It's one of the rare people that, you know, if he, if he makes a movie, you will know. You, you will know. And this one has Tilda Swinton, and I, I, I think it was a really, really wonderful experience in this, yeah. Yeah, uh, he is. Yeah, there's not another filmmaker who's even remotely similar to his, the way he approaches the tone of his movies and the way he, you know, there's like this uh, ghostliness and a spirituality to his films that it's very real but like non malicious and it's like very Thai specific sort of the spirituality that exists there and it just creates these really like ethereal atmospheres in all of his films um and this one is like it's re- he does some really interesting things that are new with the the sort of the central tenet of the film is this sound that Tilda Swinton who's the main character keeps hearing and it's just like this loud bang mm-hmm. and so every once in a while you'll hear it and she's just trying to figure out like what is going on yeah um and that sort of takes you out of it in a unique way in his filmography and I don't know, I, just, I found it to be really interesting. You kind of have to approach it at its pace because it's very slow and not really any, like, artistic or emotional flourishes at any point. Um, 
but there's some like crazy like spiritual and like even not a spoiler but sci-fi stuff in there and it's, it's just really interesting movie it's sure. it's yeah and i will i'll end it by saying this i the the the, the etherealness and the reverence of nature and the sound design of the film yeah. it made me want to go to sleep and i think i can say that in the best way possible yeah um so if you get a chance to ever see it on a big screen in the future i would highly recommend it and then my third honorable mention is um bergman island this is a new movie from mia hansen love have not watched any of her movies before, um, but certainly would after this one. Generally, it's a very intellectual film. I think when I was listening to a lot of interviews with Vicky Creeps, who's the star of the film, and Tim Roth, um, they talk about how very specific she is with her direction, but generally, it's a really lovely and fun film. Like, I rewatched it for my top 10, and I, I think it's just a really interesting meta meta love story um that's not i think spoiling anything but there's a entire section of the where the film just takes a completely different turn and um you can watch it on hulu i think right now so and now i'm gonna turn it over to sydney sydney what are your honorable mentions before we get into our top tens okay i'll preface this by saying this is my second podcast i've ever been on so i apologize if i'm rusty (laughs) Um, but, uh, do we have to go in any particular order or is it just like, what does your heart tell you? Okay. I will start with Trachi Macbeth since that is the first bullet point under my name. Um, I saw that was like, uh, Trachi Macbeth was like the first film I saw with film club, uh, like at a screening. Um, I had like, I was a part of film club before COVID happened. And then when COVID happened, I kind of like was distracted and yeah, but it was good to be in like a communal setting with like people, peers that I like and like, I, you know, respect. And, um, it was a matinee. So it was really cool. Cause I was like watching the film while drinking coffee, which just like added another level of like oomph to it. Um, and I thought it was, I mean, I went in, I didn't really expect much cause it is, it's Macbeth. Macbeth's been done many times. Um, for you know better or worse um but i really like the approach that they took um the black and white was absolutely stunning like i think it's cinematography wise it's like one of the best films of the year um i also just really appreciated like the production design from a production design standpoint it was so unique and that they did not try to make it like not theatrical like they were if anything they were like kind of shoving it in your face in the best way possible and um, the way that like the stage was done and stuff, it was just, it was really beautiful. The aspect ratio was also, it just, it made it a very beautiful and special film. Um, and performance wise, I thought, I forget her name, but the actress who played like the witch, the mm-hmm. old man, all of the above. Catherine Hunter, um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, she's great. She's like a character actor, she's from the stage. And so having like that there also, like I really appreciate it. I've also played Hecuba, the witch from Macbeth in a very different way. So it was really nice to see her take on it. And I loved the physicality that she brought to it. Yeah, that was yeah. that was really good. Yeah. I fell asleep while watching that movie at your house while I was dog-sitting your dogs, actually. Yeah. But that was, like, the part that I got to, and I was like, wow, that's incredible. Yes. She did really good with that. Yes. It's like a technically perfect film. I yes. Yeah. Yes. yes, agreed. I love, like, the German expressionist type production yeah. design and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just so awesome and dramatic. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. 
I didn't understand anything anybody was really saying at any given point. I followed the story really well, but I will agree, like, what lifts it is its craft and the level of depth it goes with that. I also think, you know, it was kind of special that they didn't try to, like, explain the Shakespeare. Like, it was just as it was because that's Mm -hmm. how it's, like, I think that's how it was intended to be done. So, like... You know, you had to you had to extrapolate the meaning from the words. They yeah. didn't give it to you, so um, yeah. I also like that aspect of it. Cool. Uh, my second one is Belfast. I watched this film with my family back home in Dallas. So, like, usually when I watch films there, like sometimes that environment like informs my viewing experience. But I actually really love this one, and I loved seeing it with my family. It's another black and white film. Um, and Kenneth Branagh, I think, did a pretty good job with this one. I was like, I went in not expecting much at all, um, but I really liked it. I thought the performances were wonderful. The little boy was so, so good. Um, and I also love, I just love films that, like, tell that specific history in Belfast with, like, you know, the IRA and stuff like that. So, um, I thought it was a good take on it, like, an anecdotal, um, perspective of it rather than just, like, you know, shoving history down your throat. Um, and yeah, anyone else have any thoughts? Well, I, I actually wrote a review of this movie for oh. the Folk Club. Very, very positive review. My feelings about it have sort of dwindled a little bit since then. Um, I think it can perhaps be said that I read too much political weight into the film on the whole. But I definitely agree. I, I definitely enjoyed watching the movie a lot. And, um... Yeah, like I was the first time I watched it, I watched it with my mom, and I think that also enhanced the experience as well. So, yeah. And then my last one is Aria Ferma. It translates to Inner Cage. It's an Italian film um, that we actually, PJ Rohan and I, all watch for uh, an Italian cinema class this past quarter. And this was a huge surprise. I. <laughs> I hope Claudio is not listening to this, but I didn't watch it on time. Uh, so I had to watch this through a South African film festival on my computer, but nonetheless, it did not disrupt my viewing experience at all. Um, this is definitely a COVID, like a pandemic film. I think we talked about that. Like it feels very suffocating. It feels like it it it, it feels like the pandemic. It's, you know, it's a very limited ensemble. It takes place in like one building for the most part it's pretty much there's like not really any action but it's tension filled just because of like the characters in it it's character driven um uh tony Cerillo did wonderful as always love him as an actor um and yeah i would highly recommend if you can if you can find it to watch it um it explores a lot of like it's about an abandoned prison i don't want to give away too much it's about an abandoned prison um and it explores a lot of like you know prison themes, but also just, like, uh, personal turmoil um, with, like, both guards and prison mates. It's really unique in that it doesn't, like, it's not biased towards, like, one or the other. The inmates and the prison guards are, like, all kind of in it together, and, yeah, I really enjoyed watching it. Hmm. I'd agree with that. I think it's weirdly undramatic in a lot of where it comes from and we talked about its connection to neorealism in our class and so if anybody is a big neorealist um you can watch that and find some connection to it which i found really really interesting for Mm -hmm. sure all right so we'll, we'll turn it over to maddie maddie three honorable mentions for you yes i actually while i was sitting here realized that i saw all of these at sundance 2021 which is kind of just interesting that they stuck together the whole time on my list they never got separated but the first one 
is uh, Judas and the Black Messiah by Shaka King. And I think that this is like a common theme throughout all of my honorable mentions is it's really the direction that does it for me with all of these films. I think that Shaka King just has such a great vision. The plot like dragged a little bit for me, which is why I think that it didn't end up higher in my list. But overall, I thought it was... It, I thought it was incredibly moving. I, like, was just, like, distraught after watching it for the first time. And I think that Shaka King is really exciting, and I really am excited to see what we see next. Um, and, yeah, I don't really know have know what else to say about it. Um, I mean, that one was really high up on my list for a while, um, like, at the beginning of the year when we didn't have a lot of big releases coming through. Um, yeah, basically share the same sentiments as Maddie, sort of. Maybe a little bit too long, but um, mm-hmm. the political resonance was definitely there. Yeah. Um, so and like and I, you know, Chicago story, so I had a connection to it. <laughs> yeah, and definitely, I think still when I look back at it, one of the best acted films. Yeah, hundred percent of last year, of la- of the past year in terms of all the performances from everybody was just yeah. on top yeah. for sure we finally got daniel kaluuya oscar yes and he made that iconic speech about his parents yeah remember that <laughs> yeah that was yes. iconic. That was... um okay my next one is censor by prano bailey bond i also saw that at sundance and then i really wanted to see it again at sif but i waited too long and the tickets were gone but thankfully it's been released now on demand um it's basically like a horror movie that's based on like B horror films of the 80s and it's about a girl that works in a censorship office and she kind of like loses her grip on reality and it also kind of plays off of the final girl stereotype and it's just very I don't even know what the word is it's thought-provoking for me but it's also just like entertaining that may be like kind of a dark way to interpret it but I just thought it was really well made and also the director is very sweet yeah she's awesome and visually it was stunning in my opinion yeah definitely one of the more entertaining horror films I saw this year and I saw a lot of shit ones so (laughs) yeah I will say it was refreshing to see a new take I was gonna ask that too. You cannot fucking swear on this podcast for sure. Absolutely sure. So, not. Yeah, no. That final shot of her in that long flowing dress, like covered in blood, and it's that like electric green background in the woods. That stuck with me. That's so beautiful to me. Um, anyways, yeah. I, I it that that movie stuck with me for a long time afterwards. It was uh, sold out whenever I went to watch it at SIF, and I was really bummed, but I got to see her in a roundtable discussion and mm-hmm. hear her, and I just really liked the perspective she brought, kind of like, you know, championing genre films nowadays, because they don't always get the funding that other films do, and I DM'd her on Instagram, and she, like, messaged me back, and yeah, she was like, I I'm, I can't get you tickets to this one, because it's sold out, but, like, look or, look for it, you know, it's going to come out. Have you seen it since? I haven't. It's I'm, good. I promised Prano that I'm going to. I promise, I promise you, Prano, because you're probably listening to this right now. <laughs> if you are, yeah. Anyways, great yeah. person. And then my last one is On the Count of Three, which is another one I saw at Sundance, and it's directed by Gerard Carmichael, who I hadn't seen anything that he'd acted in before, but I know that he's an actor. And then also Christopher Abbott. We all know I love Black Bear. I'm a big Christopher Abbott fan, which is what initially drew me to the film. But I thought that it was really, I don't know if anybody else has seen it, because it was only at Sundance and like maybe another film festival, but it got picked up for distribution. Has not happened yet. Um, But it is like dark comedy in a 
way that I feel like the word the term dark comedy is kind of like misconstrued nowadays and it's turned into the, this thing where it's like oh this is my excuse for being <laughs> horrible and like offensive but no it's dark comedy in the way that it's like very empathetic to its subjects and I think that the acting and the direction is what really does it for me with that film it's funny, it's sad, it's really real, and whenever it gets picked up for release, I highly recommend that everybody watch it. There's this one bit of Christopher Abbott singing in the car, he does karaoke in the car to Last Resort by Papa Roach, and that happens like three times throughout the film, and it's just so funny. But yeah. Yeah, love, love Gerard Carmichael's in the next Yorgos Lanthimos film, which will be very... He's in the next, wow, that's yeah. interesting. He and Rami Youssef, I was like... <gasps> that's iconic. Well, Willem Dafoe and Emma Stone are the stars, but they're also cast in it. But That's iconic. Awesome. All I heard is on a rumor on Reddit that there was a lot of fucking in the movie. But Rami surprises me. Great for Yorgos, honestly. Anyway, but yeah. Stephanie, we'll turn it over to you. Three three honorable mentions. Okay, so my first one is Souvenir Part 2, and I watched this as an, in a double feature in Beacon at Beacon Cinema. Souvenir and Souvenir Part 2 together, back-to-back. Back. Um, nice. And I was so tired, um, but I think, like, Joanna, Joanna Hogg, she just, like, the first Souvenir is about this um, film student who gets into this relationship with an untrustworthy older man. Um, and the second one, she's just trying to make a film about her experiences. And I think there were a lot of like really um, relatable parts for her struggling as like a, a filmmaker and also just trying to come to terms with what happened to her. Cause it's it was like semi semi bad traumatic for her, but she's also trying to make something out of it at the same time, and so that was just. I think I would I need to give it a rewatch, but it was just very I think powerful in its own way, and like a very strong sequel, might I add, oh, yeah. to a originally very strong film already. Yeah. And so that was just <laughs> highly recommend going to go see both of them. Maybe not when you're stressed, but. That's definitely a girl. That's all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And then my next honorable mention is Passing, which I thought was just like one in the many. I feel like a lot of black and white films that came out this year. There's a stranger matter there for sure. Nice trend. Um, But Tessa Thompson and Ruth Negga are great. Um, Alexander Skarsgård is just really good at playing shitty, shitty, hot Mm -hmm. men. He's so so hot and so awful. Yeah. (laughs) It's about, um, like, two mixed-race women in New York in the 20s, and one of them is passing as white, and the other one is not. And so they sort of, um, they, like, were childhood friends, and they, they spend the movie, like, there are a lot of boundaries. Like, it's a movie about boundaries, I think, and but they spend the movie, like, contemplating and talking about which ones are crossed and which ones are not, and how that restrains them and how... And etc. And I just thought it was done really well. I think it's Rebecca Hall's directorial debut, mm-hmm. and it was like a little personal to her because she is also part African American, I think. But 
she doesn't look that way. I believe you. I, I personally think it's the best use of, not that it's the best like looking black and white, but I think like, in the story yeah. that it's trying to tell, I think it is the yeah, smartest I mean, way to use yeah. black and white, uh-huh. I think in a exactly. film that I've seen this year. Yeah. And like Tessa Thompson and Ruth Nigga. I mean, they didn't get Oscar nods, but both, like, they got BAFTAs and... Yeah, I, think, I, I was shocked Ruth didn't at least get a supporting, yeah. but... Anyway. I will, yeah. I will say, I really was not that interested in seeing that movie before you started describing it. I guess I didn't really know what it you, was, You but didn't know what it was about? Not really, oh, no. Wow. But that's really, like, I want to see it now. That, yeah. yeah. Um, it's also based on a book, and I think Piper would also talk about it, too, if she were here, but it just, like, I thought it was really good. Is it The Vanishing Half? It's called, the book is also called. Oh, it's also called, okay. And it's just about, I mean, the, the, when you are mixed race. Yeah. It's like that kind of contradiction of identity and stuff like that. Um, And Alexander Skarsgård is very hot and very shitty in that. He literally, like. That's all he knows how to do. He (laughs) literally, like, jokingly calls his wife the N-word. Yeah. And she's, like, passing as white. I don't think that's a huge spoiler, but that's just... He literally does it so casually. I'm like, are you okay? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, Passing's a good movie. It's on Netflix. Um, mm-hmm. And then my next film is also on Netflix. Mitchell's versus the Machine. Oscar nominee. This movie was just... It's funny because the main character is like a film nerd. <laughs> and I think that's something that we all kind of relate to. Um, but there are also a lot of um, Olivia Coleman voices the villain, which is so funny. The this I think my letterbox review of this movie was um, not me giving this movie a hard side eye when it's getting too real about the tech industry. Cause there were a lot of things I was like, that's too close to reality. This is not supposed to be funny. I'll always support the non-Disney animation stuff. Yeah, so, sure. Also, the animation style itself it's is like, so it's good beautiful. and it's also it's part of the Maya Rudolph plays an overprotective mother cinematic uh, universe. I love her. Just a list on my letterbox. You can go check it out. There's three films in it. <laughs> um, I think Maya Rudolph plays an overprotective maternal figure, um, but she like it's a it's just a comedy. I would say. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's a very. I mean. Yeah, it's hilarious. I laughed a lot. It was like too real about the tech industry and the main characters of film. Then, like, if you want to have a good time, that's a good one. Yeah. Quick question: Is Inherent Vice on your list? I have not seen Inherent Vice. Well, you gotta add it on there because okay. she does that in my movie. Wait, actually, I think it might be restricted to animated films. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. In which Maya Rudolph voices an overprotective mother mm-hmm. figure. Technically, she voices herself in live action movies. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that took me a second. Anyway. But yeah, Bong Joon Ho loves it. Stephanie loves it. Bong Joon Ho loves it? Yeah, he put it on his best of the year. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I could. He also had the Don't Look Up on there. Yeah, we'll ignore oh, that oh, part, but we'll. As number one. Yeah, but Drive so, My Car was next, so oh, I feel sir. like. I can ignore both of them. I can I can one cancels out the other, I suppose. But Does it? No, it doesn't. Don't look up was pretty bad. It was very bad. Yeah. I mean we should have a segment of this where we talk about shitty films. Sorry. You know what? No. This is already gonna be really fucking long. Yeah. Keep going. Anyway, yes. So the three honorable mentions for you and then PJ we'll go to you last. What are what are your honorable mentions? Sure. Okay. So my first one is uh, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, um, the second of, or I guess the, the second of two films yeah. released by 
director Ryosuke Hamaguchi this year or 2021. Um, also, really good film. Was very very close to being on my list. I had it swapped out with my number ten a couple times. Um, sort of this collection of three short stories, sort of interrogating these different emotional aspects of relationships, but from sort of like a detached intellectual perspective that I thought was really interesting. Um, sort of um, doesn't like break through in the way that Drive My Car does, which is why it's not quite as good as a film as that one, in my opinion. But um, yeah, just like all really well acted. Um, these, yeah, just these three really interesting stories that like all center on these relationships that have these strange twists that you don't really see coming and then are played out in these dry but like really intellectually stimulating ways so that would be that's my first i don't know if anyone else has watched it i i I watched it i I, i'd agree with you um i think the thing with me in anthology films in general i have a very hard time with them but so when i like one I, I haven't really, I don't think there's any that I've loved, but when I really like one, which was the case with Wheel of Fantasy and Fortune, like, I think the three stories work very well together, as separated as they are, and I, I think it's very much in line with what I saw from Drive My Car, in terms of the intellectual sort of detached, but like, the emotional core is still there, and it does hit you at certain spots throughout those, those stories, so I love that as well. All right, um, and then my next honorable mention is a film I saw at TIFF uh, this past year, which is called Official Competition. Um, don't really think it has been released in the U.S. at all. Um, it's an Argentine film starring Penelope Cruz, uh, Antonio Banderas, and uh, Oscar Martinez. Obviously two big stars there, but Oscar Martinez is sort of well-known character actor among like Latin American cinema. It's a comedy, like, it's just this hilarious collection of an assortment of different kinds of narcissists coming together. So basically the plot is, there's this big CEO, and for, like, to cement his legacy, he wants to fund this giant, like, the greatest film of all time. And so Penelope Cruz plays this, like, crazy auteur, you know, all, all the characters are, like, sort of, you know, heightened. Um, she's, like, this crazy auteur director who does all these weird things. Um, and Antonio Banderas plays, like, the internationally famous superstar actor who comes back to, to play uh, on the other side of Oscar Martinez, who plays, like, this, you know, artiste. He teaches a, an acting studio. And so the film is sort of about their clashes and... I don't know. It's it was it was really funny. Probably the funniest movie I saw this year, and um, yeah, a lot of really great performances and like really cool locales and stuff. So cool. Yeah. Uh, did anybody else see official competition? No, no, but I, yeah, I think didn't I it play? It comes at, out. Didn't it play at Sundance that recently? Because it sounds really familiar. I feel like I read about it. Maybe I don't know. I don't think so, but um, you could be right. Um, but yeah, it sounds um, really familiar. <laughs> yeah, so I would highly recommend that one. Um, my next one is uh, Boiling Point, um, film starring Stephen Graham of character actor fame. I guess he's I, been in like he's Irishman, an Irishman. Irishman, great. Yeah. Um, gets to use his beautiful Scouse accent in this film. Finally, um, 
sort of plays a like a high level chef in a restaurant that is sort of falling to pieces and we sort of follow him and the goings on of the restaurant over the course of this one night where a whole bunch of things just start going wrong and it's a it's sort of a stress piece on along the lines of you know a Safety Brothers film, but it's sort of slice of life. Um, and it's just really interesting, really well acted, um, sort of keeps the pace throughout. Um, good, tight 90 minute film. So, okay. I would highly recommend that one. I think it's on Hulu as well. Oh, oh dang. I want to watch that. Same. Okay. Cool. Especially since you say Safety, it's like Safety Brothers level stress because oh, they yeah. love that. Yeah. So. Cool. Alrighty. So, those are all of our honorable mentions. Um, so now we're gonna go into our top ten, and so if some if there's one that is shared on our list, we'll wait till it pops up like the latest on somebody's list. Um, that way we're we're saving suspense for later. So we'll go ahead and get started with. Um, we'll, we'll turn it. We'll jump back to PJ um, for PJ's number ten, which is a hero, Oscar Farhadi's film. So yes, you want to introduce, talk about it a bit. Sure. Um... So, Oscar Farhadi, I guess he's sort of a famous director now. Um, definitely the most famous Iranian director in the game right now. Um, mm-hmm. So this one is about a prisoner in a debtor's prison um, because of a, he tried to open a business up a long time ago and sort of faulted on his loan. Um, and he's sort of, so he comes out of for leave for two days and finds a bag with some gold coins in it and sort of there's a a dilemma comes up whether or not to sell the contents of the bag to try to go towards paying off his debt and getting out of prison um, or to return it Um, and he ends up returning it and the ensuing story is sort of about him like he becomes like this celebrity figure for the good deed that he's done, like because of the news covers him and stuff. Um, and then, sort of, as the film goes on, these little white lies sort of make cracks in his story, mm-hmm. even if there's like a larger truth. And, um, you know, he deals with the ensuing like uh, marks against his hope that continually come. Um, and so, the structure of the film is sort of a lot like a, a neorealist film, um, is sort of the impression I got. Um, something like A Bicycle Thieves or Umberto D, like sort of a character in this situation, um, director, you know, not really acting in judgment of their actions or like sort of forcing you to consider the morality of what someone does when they're in a situation like this. Um, and so we watch him like just try to find any way for him to get out of this life and move on to something new. Um, and he does a lot of things that help him and a lot of things that hurt him. And um, I don't know, it's just really interesting. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on it wrong. Yeah, I, I, I watched it. I, I really loved the film a lot. I think, going off of your point, I think all of Farhadi's films, from what I know, like the big, one of the big, he has a very similar structure in a lot of his films where it's a character and it's essentially he examines this ethical dilemma which i think goes back to this lack of judgment on whether necessarily they what they do is good or bad 
but sort of the their flaws as well as their aspirations sort of like combat each other mm-hmm. um i would highly recommend I, I this is very clear and i a separation i watched a couple of years ago and i think that's like the most poignant version of this but um here like the main actor from what i know was not it's not really the, this is i yeah, think his like first big action yeah, yeah yeah and so um but his face is so he like so it's good, so right? he's so good and like i think the thing about his face is it's so like innocent looking but and i think you you get really drawn into like this his his aspirations but you realize the more white lies he tells and the more sort of things unravel he doesn't really have control of it um the more that i just i just found you know what eventually happens to him sort of i got more invested in it as time went on um, and I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, um, so that's that's a, that's a hero um, that is, yep, as we said, on Amazon Prime. Um, so go and stream it. Again, craziest sentence I think nobody would ever be able to say like 20 years ago, which is just like this Iranian film that's amazing. You can just like click play and it's on your laptop, which yeah, is for sure. weird. Yeah, so, then we'll, so now we're going to jump to my number 10. Um, which is West Side Story. Um, this is the remake of West Side Story, which is the remake of Romeo and Juliet um, in a very loose way. Um, this is directed by Steven Spielberg. Sure, you heard of him. Um, I have a very complicated relationship in that I think he's an amazing and one of the best directors of all time, but I find a lot of the stories he chooses to tell um, to be quite problematic or not necessarily in line with what i believe of the world um and recently i found that he's done a string of movies that i haven't really been inspired by so when i heard he was making this not based off of the original script not with the original choreography um little bit of a hesitation but i think yeah he reminded me he's like a really fucking good director and if anything this proves that west side story is one of the greatest just stories told i think on at least broadway in terms of how i think this can be adapted in very different ways um i did see the original before this i did like a double feature that day and there's a lot of different ways he uses the music um the way i think i think the thing with spielberg is like the thing that i think makes him probably in terms of um his directorial style the best thing that he does i think better than i think anybody that i've ever seen maybe possibly excluding kurosawa is he knows how to block actors and he knows how to move the camera around the blocking of those actors to make what you're watching interesting even if it's like a very boring conversation um and when you're dancing uh, if anybody's listened to the dga podcast he talks about this a lot where he uses dancing in that very similar fashion and i think that's why all of the dancing set pieces are truly magnificent to watch and it genuinely is a spectacle um, of a musical and I found that to be very, very invigorating for a genre that I think is very much losing popularity in pop pop culture. But um, I know a couple of you, y'all have watched it, so what what were were your thoughts on Um, that? Actual Puerto Rican actors, actors, mm-hmm. good, good for Ariana DeBose and her, I love her yes. Golden Globe set and SAG win and probably Oscar I, win. I, honestly, I that's probably. Probably. I would be shocked. Yeah, yeah. if she didn't. Um, win she him. was really good. I think the I saw a description online uh, comparing the original and the new one, and it was like the new one 
uses light, like Steven Spielberg uses light more, and then the old one focuses on color more, which I thought, I think, I felt was a pretty true. Yeah. appropriate way to distinguish between the two. Yeah. Um, but I was also, I hadn't, I did a double feature also, and I just was apprehensive about it all as a remake, but it was really good, and I was very pleased. Yeah. And gotta love Leonard Bernstein. Yes. Stephen Sondheim, rest in peace as well, but... Yeah. yeah, I thought it was really good as well. Um, I think, yeah, along the lines of your preamble to this, he has not shown himself well in regards to cinematography recently, but this film is, like, absolutely insane. I, I, so I've never seen a puddle look so fucking mm, beautiful yeah, in my entire exactly. goddamn life. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, this is awesome. Fucking yeah. awesome, yeah. Yeah, the way that the camera kind of floats with like as it captures the dances like the opening scene and then the scene in like the gymnasium yeah um it really like elevated it and i i'm partial to like the original because like jerome robbins choreography and stuff like it was just like so groundbreaking at its time but i thought it did a good job of like you know adding a little bit more to that yeah i felt it was much more of a grounded approach and it felt much more realistic um, the original, when I was watching it, had very strong theater kid vibes, which, yes. yeah, for better or worse... It works better in some places. It does. It works less in others. Yeah, and I, I still think the, the original is a masterpiece, but yeah. I think I think I was hearing Spielberg talk about it, and he said the original is meant for all time, but this wet side story he meant to talk about now, which I felt was a very apt way of sort of describing the, the, the results of the remake, for sure. Mm-hmm. How open are we to, to dissenting opinions? <laughs> or not dissenting no, opinions, but... You didn't say whatever, yeah. I haven't seen it, um, because I've been very... <laughs> no, I mean, I'm very hesitant to watch it, because Ansel Elgort makes me physically sick to my stomach. He's absolutely disgusting, and I really don't appreciate how, in the marketing... Um, yeah, he could have been left out of it completely. They, they never even acknowledged the fact that... They put him in group. group. Yeah. So that group he would be shielded. So he wouldn't have been asked... So, yeah, I'm really bummed because I was really excited about this movie and I think that it's doing a really important thing by, like, showing, showcasing, like, a Latinx cast and I think that that is super important. And spe- I didn't realize, like, I don't know why I'd never thought about it, but Natalie Wood is not, not Puerto Latin. Rican. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm, like, really bummed that Hansel Gore had to come along and be terrible um, but I will be, I will be watching it now that it's on Disney Plus, and I'm excited about it, but I just have to say that, like, I was really not pleased with the way that... It was an elephant in the room, I think, for, yeah. like, the film. I mean, yes, and aside from that, I think he is the, the reason this movie is not better, personally. I think yeah. his, per, his I performance... Did, yeah, I think he's not even, like, great. I think great. people have been saying that, um, to justify it to themselves, like, he's actually really good in the movie. I, I... I don't know. I see it when he's, when he was when he's he, actually a really good singer, and I think no, no, no. He's a, he's a good singer and a good performer. I just felt like his dramatic stuff is was not good in the film. I I felt like like uh, are I mean, we sure, all, he's certainly outclassed by a lot of the other actors in the movie. But I think I heard Rachel Singer is amazing. She's phenomenal. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, I just agree. Tangentially, yeah. yeah, I think the other actors are definitely outshine him. It's just like. People, I think, have been, like, obviously he's a horrible fucking person, but... Uh, like, oh, I knew all he along. He was actually good in the movie. Um, no, and I'm sure he was, and that's the thing that bums me out about it, too. Yeah. But, 
Yeah, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it. I just saw that it was on Disney Plus recently, mm. um, and I like told myself I was gonna watch a bunch of these movies before this weekend, but that didn't happen. So I wish I had more to say about it because I'm sure that it's really good. Like especially what I've seen looks. You know who did gorgeous. a good job? What's his face? Mike. My mice. Mike. Uh, he looks like a young John Mulaney. He it's does yes, not. he does. Crazy. Yes, no, <laughs> he, he does. does not. He does. He does. No, no, no. no. Thanks. I don't have does. any input on that. He looks that. like a young John Mulaney. He does. He, he, I mean, he, he, he. This is a lie. I mean, no. I mean, uh, no. He does. No, that. I agree with PJ. That is a lie. He does not look like John Mulaney. Oh my gosh. A um, young John Mulaney. No, no. Well, here's the thing with Mike Weiss's performance was that... He's like, there's there's a lot of distinct F-A-R-K-O. factors about the way he looks. Yeah. And I do not fear John Mulaney, but I feared Mike Weiss in a very different way. I don't know. I guess in a way... No. But also, I'm really... Like, I am in that he's a, a big guy. John Mulaney yes. fan. Like, he looks more distinctive than John Mulaney, exactly. I think. John Mulaney has more generic features, I yeah. think. Okay. Yeah, no. Well, there are more lines to his face. To island together. Yeah, that's a very... That's, his face is way more angular than John Mulaney's right. is. He looks more gaunt. Um... He's also yeah, a theater kid, so mm. and he did a really good job. So yeah, no, I'm I'm like yeah, I'm excited to watch it. Well, oh, that's just what I was gonna say is that no, I, I won't go back to that point. I mean, I made my point, but I I'm planning on watching it soon. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. I just wanted to get that out of the way. Cool. Um. So now we'll go to Sydney for your number ten, which is pig. Pig. Yes, pig. pig. Love okay. pig. Go, this, go, go. Share, share why pig was on your top ten. Yes. Yeah. So pig, um, and it says the director is Michael Cernowski, but wasn't there another director? No, is it, it just it, Michael? It was Michael. Okay. Yeah, Cernowski. Um, so I actually watched this film recently, like a few weeks ago, um, and it's it's really it's a short, tight film. It's like an hour and thirty minutes. Um, and it takes place here in the PNW, so that was what initially drew it to me, in addition to the fact that Nick Cage is in the starring role. Um, I'm not going to reveal too much because this is definitely a movie that I would like, if you have not seen it, to play out as it happens. So I will just like, it's a story about a man who lives on his own, uh, with a pig, uh, that, uh, forages mushrooms, um, and specifically like truffles. Um, it's a truffle pig, um, and it's something happens to said pig, and uh, Nicolas Cage uh, kind of goes down this journey to um, get said pig. I can't. There's so much that I don't want to spoil. The, I mean, the trailer reveals. I think the trailer is the trailer. Is, that's the, yeah, the, the pig is stolen. The pig yeah. is stolen, and he. Uh, goes on like um, his own person I, I think of it like John Wick but like with the pig um, he goes on his own but not as violent he goes on his own mission to like find the pig and um, bring it back because it's revealed that like he has a really special connection to the pig because of um, some other reason and it's kind of like his his companion because <laughs> he lives in the woods pretty much alone with like no human contact doesn't even have a phone um, but anyway, the story is, like, a really beautiful, um, meditation on grief and, like, also revenge, um, but not in, like, 
the traditional sense and how those kind of tie together and how, you know, one person's story of loss, like, intertwines with another person's story of loss. And um, it's also a really cool um, expression of, like, the Portland food scene, uh, surprisingly. I didn't know that I would be so invested in that, but now I'm like, I want to see more movies about the Portland food scene. Um, Nicolas Cage does a phenomenal job. He, this is like, I've seen him in a lot of roles, but this role particularly got me, um, just cause I think that he brings, I mean, he's had, he has his own story of loss. So, and I, I, for me that came through in his character. I, it was, it, yeah, the movie is heartbreaking and beautiful and all of the above and it's only 90 minutes um and alex wolf did a phenomenal job too i think he really stepped up to his role at first when he first showed up in the film i was like kind of anxious about how he would fit in yeah it was yeah um but he did so so good and um it's yeah it's just i think the writing is also great um has so many good lines in it and i just highly highly recommend it yeah you mentioned the John Wick, and so I, I saw this movie when it like came out in theaters, um, and it was marketed as a John like, yeah. you know, you think Nick Cage gets his pig stolen, you know, revenge story. Yeah, he's gonna kill everybody and get the pig back, mm-hmm. and sort of the way the film subverts that and is just like, just so surprisingly deeply sincere was like really interesting i think there is a dismantling but it's not necessarily physical violence it's a lot more psychological Um, i don't even think it's psychological violence. i mean i mean not not violence necessarily but i would say like he he very much dismantles the thought process like i'm thinking of the the the, it's like the scene with the chef yes when he he meets the chef in portland um i won't spoil i don't even think that's what we're gonna have to talk too much about yeah. that. I don't think that's what the character was thinking at the time. No, 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 no. It's not. It's not like he's out for. He's not out for revenge he's necessarily. Not yeah, no, no, no. This isn't like a revenge movie at all. Even, yeah. In my opinion, at least, and I think you agree too. It's not. It's not John Wick. I mean, it's not. I have a certain set of skills. Um, it's like it's not that vein of uh, of action revenge movie. It's not revenge in that regard, but I do think that each the three big characters, you know, who I'm talking about, yeah. the dad, the son, and Nick Cage, they all kind of have their own way. It's not revenge, but they all have something that they're trying to. Yeah, like, the thing you said about like their own stories of grief and how they intertwine. I yeah. think that's what the movie's really about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it comes to head at the end in a really beautiful and heartbreaking yeah that way. the last shot Dream. of the film yeah. is, oh my gosh i i was bawling it i was bawling as well um yeah definitely don't want to watch i watched that like the night before an exam and i was like why did i do this to myself but no. can i just say real quick the way that you said the dad the son nick cage sounds like the father the son nick cage <laughs> father son nick cage exactly but yeah i haven't seen it that was another one of the ones that i like it's not been on my list for so long, but I love movies that take such a simple concept and then just mine it for all it's worth emotionally, mm-hmm. um, which is what I'm getting from what everybody's been talking for about. Sure. So I'm I'm really excited to watch it. Cool. Go pig. Also, a nice tight ninety minute film. Yes. What more could you want? Also, the pig is so cute. Oh my That's god, true. I it's so cute. If you don't, if not for anything, watch for the pig. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do, pig. That'll do. Yeah. Um, cool. 
So, yes, I guess pigs are cute. Anyway, um, we're gonna we're gonna move on. Um, everybody else is. Uh, Stephanie and Maddie, your ten will come later on. So we'll go to. We'll return to back to PJ. Your number nine. Yeah. So my number nine film is Ama, directed by Pablo Lorraine, also director of Spencer, which I'm sure we'll talk about um, later. But um, yeah, this one is in his native Chile. Um, follows um, the main character um, is at the titular Ama. Um, she's a dancer. Um, follows her troupe and her sort of husband-esque type character played by Gail Garcia Bernal. Um, obviously always fantastic. Um, and sort of the story of her and so her and her husband had adopted a child previously and he ended up being a badly behaving kid to say the least Um, and they ended up giving him back and so this all happens before the film Um, and the resulting film is sort of them dealing with what they've done and the loss of that and her, it becomes a story of her like as a force of nature trying to right those wrongs. I don't want to say exactly how, um, but um, really what the, what made the film so interesting to me was I got to see it in the theater and it's really, really centered around the music, obviously, because the, the dance is really important to the film. Um, and it's just like incredibly hypnotic, like... Watching it in a theater is the best experience by far because, like, it just, like, gets in your soul. And, like, I'd, like, just, like, months after I would, like, hear the music in my head and, like, it just, like, sticks with you in this way. And a lot of it is paired with these scenes of um, the main character, Emma, and her, like, this, like, really tight-knit found family of her dance troupe. Um and like these scenes of them just going through the city like dancing in unison and it's like they're like in a trance and it's like just like it's filled with like really interesting imagery um really amazing score and the way that the film interrogates like the manipulation and the use of sex in the film um by the main character to get what she wants is really interesting so i would highly recommend if anybody wants to check it out I do love Pablo Lorraine's the two films that I've seen which are Jackie and Spencer so yeah one might say this is the better one <laughs> strong strong take that is very interesting wait this is the better I like Spencer a lot but this oh, is okay. definitely the better one of his I mean this movie technically hit the festival circuit in like late 2019 but it's been making the rounds and didn't actually release until 2021 so. how did you see it? Uh, the Music Box Theater back in Chicago. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Cool. Alright, then we'll turn it over to Stephanie. Um, we'll go to your number nine. Okay, so my number nine was Parallel Mothers. I think this is the only Almodovar film I've ever seen, which is a crime. I, I know. <laughs> Everybody's looking at me real weird right now. Um, but the plot is followed Penelope Cruz and I don't remember the other actress's name. Um, she's like a newbie young youngin. Yeah. She's newbie youngin, and um, they play women who get pregnant at the same time. Penelope Cruz is like an established 
older single woman, and then the other girl, she's like a teen mom. And so they... Milena Smith. Milena Smith. um, They are going through motherhood in parallel. And so there's just, I think inherently that narrative is very interesting. Anytime there's like a parallel whatever in a movie, I'm like, ooh, interesting. Um, But then this entire thing also happens in the against the backdrop of the fallout of the um, Spanish Civil War. Can we preface that a little bit? Sure. Because it takes place in modern day. Okay, oh yeah, yeah, okay. So it takes place now, and it, it is um, set against the backdrop of the generational fallout there you go. of the Spanish Civil War. So Penelope Cruz's grandfather, or her father, is like one of the people who is murdered um, by the fascists. Fascists, yeah. And, um, so this entire, I think, um, this movie, um, does a really good job with the whole, they talk a lot about legacy and the preservation of memory at the same time as these women are becoming mothers and talk, thinking about how they are trying to preserve, to pass on their memories and the things that are really important to them. Um, and then there's some other, like, less political history, more, like, just drama stuff that happens that is also, like, funny, heartfelt, interesting between the two women as they're going through, you know, trials and tribulations of motherhood. And so, altogether, I think it was just, um, I don't think, I wasn't aware of the Spanish Civil War background of the film when I went into it. I thought it was just going to be like a, oh... Switched at birth, funny movie or something. Um, <laughs> it's, clearly, a co- it's a comedy rom. Clearly, <laughs> I've never seen an El Moldovar film before this. I mean, he does do comedies. There's a lot of comedy in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but um, that was like unexpectedly emotional. I saw it with Piper. We both kind of cried at the end, um, but it's really good. Definitely mm. recommend. Piper, if you indeed cried, please text she us and we know you were so listening. Much. She, yes. was, <laughs> she was I also cried at the end of this movie. Um, I think you described it really well. Um, the sort of with the way it entangles the story of historical memory with like yeah, to pass it does on. that so well. Yeah. I was so surprised. This like I had no idea they were doing that. But yeah, yeah. And Amorivar just does melodrama so well. So, yeah, I, I mean, like, I've 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 heard a lot of people as a criticism talk about how it's very soap opera-y, which I mean, I think that's great. I, I think it's a yeah. good thing. If if anything, I do but, feel like it, like there's like a unique way in which he approaches it that like, like I don't know. It's not like people say that because it looks like kind of. I mean, like it, it, it technically it, it like feels a like it's shot is shot with a different frame. It looks like sure. a yeah. network TV show, which is why people think that. I feel like, but yeah. like his melodrama has like a different layer to it. That um, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if you've seen Pain and Glory, but like he's nobody does MacBook just reacting to like getting an email mm-hmm. better than <laughs> oh my gosh, yes, so, yeah. yeah, that was that should be the. Awesome. Did you yeah. have anything else you wanted to add to it? I mean, I, no, I mean, the ending, like, the final shot of this film, like, I feel like people fuck up endings very, I think it's a very common theme that a lot of the ending shots of a lot of these films are really good, but this one in particular is very unforgettable, um, in the, in a, and it's really good, and it just hammers home the deeper ideas behind sort of the melodrama that happens for most of the film. Yeah. 
for sure. And I love that. Um, so yes, so bop it on over to Sydney. Um, this is your. This is our first shared film amongst us. It um. is Sydney's number nine and Maddie's number ten. What is it, y'all? Zol one two three Zola. Zola. <laughs> By Janixa Bravo. Um, I, I'll, well, we can do it like kind of 50 50 yeah. an intro because I think we're both really passionate about this, this film. I got one we thing to say. Shmoney. We make it shmoney. So, Zola, I got really excited about this film. Oh my god, yeah. Um, as soon as I read, so the movie's based off of a Twitter thread. Yes, a Twitter thread. Um, that you can find and you can read. I read through it. It took hours. but I read through it, too. A lot of people said that they chose not to read it before, but it's, it's, it's wild. It's wild. But for some, for somehow they made it even more batshit. I know, maybe. yeah. Um, but it's so good. Um, this is, like, Janixa's, like, relatively early in her biography. Yeah. Um, and it stars, what's her name? Uh, Taylor, Taylor Page and Riley Keough, and they just do such a wonderful job as like the two main characters in the Twitter thread and also like in the movie. Um, and it's I saw it over the summer. It was like it was definitely a summer movie, and it was just it was really fun. It was really wild. Um, I really like how they you know went from a Twitter thread and kind of just built off of that because I feel like there was a lot more revealed in the film that was not revealed in the Twitter thread and I liked how they did it in the film. And of course they did like change some things yes. to make it work cinematically yes. but I think it stays pretty true to yes. the source material. Yeah. I will say for some reason I'm like I'm weirdly in love with Riley Keough. I think that she's amazing and I've seen like most of the things that she's been in. Mm-hmm. Um and Taylor Page is great. I'm so excited yes. to see more of what she does. She's yes. so talented. And like the real like the real life Zola like was heavily consulted for this. Film. Yeah, which I think is important. Which I think is important. Which I think like, made it. So. This is traumatic. It's yeah. It is a wild ride. I yeah. would just say buckle in and just have fun. It's the soundtrack's amazing. Like yeah, it's. Michael I Levi. Sign, yeah. It's Michael Levi. I believe. Mm. Yeah. I appreciate that even, like, obviously this is, like, probably a very traumatic thing for, I think, I forget what her, the name is of the, like, real life Zola. Her name, um, I think her, Zola Moon is her, yeah, is her, like, but Twitter. Like, I've, yeah, um, anyways, that's tangential, but I appreciate that they didn't play it as, like, a drama, and that yeah. it was, like, more of a dark comedy, especially, like, having consulted her, and, like, obviously, like, she was probably okay with that direction. I think it works really well for this. And I think that Janixa's vision is what really made this film work for me. 100%. Um, and, yeah, just the fact that they were able to take the pace out of some stuff. Like, Nicholas Braun's whole character oh was so funny in, like, the just this most pitiable way. Um, He's playing another flavor of himself again. Like, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. He literally is just Cousin Greg, and I, yeah. unfortunately that's probably what he's going to be known as for the rest of his career, but yeah. I think he does a really good job in this as well. And then Coleman Domingo, I love Coleman oh, Domingo. So good, he yeah. does not He does not flop. Everything he does is amazing. But yeah, this film, it's entertaining, it's funny, but it's also it also has something to say. Like There's a lot of very touchy moments that cover like some very heavy 
material without being too heavy-handed about it, mm-hmm. which is what I really appreciate. Um, because, like, something, sometimes things like that are just better handled with some levity. And I think that there's, a, like, a perfect balance here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I, I enjoyed the movie a lot. I would say... I'd say the ending is very... When I was reading about it initially and its initial reception was very controversial. Controversial. It did make me sit there and really consider what it was trying to say. And I think it goes to a larger point of really why I love this movie. Um, is that there are a lot of very subtle tools that Janiksa Bravo uses to sort of hint at the more factual side of Zola's story and sort of human trafficking in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the ending has a very powerful tool. Like, I think not just human trafficking, but, like, I think about how many times in the in the, in the film. There are a couple times where, like, something's repeated over and over again. There's the code switching by Dom- Coleman Domingo is mm-hmm. very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it hints at a very underneath story that isn't necessarily touched upon in what's in, in the movie itself but i think it hints at something and the ending quite funny um but it just leaves you kind of befuddled in and if i and when i'm thinking about it i'm like that is a very particular viewpoint on in terms of how you end it and mm-hmm. i did really appreciate that i do have to say i sometimes wonder if the reason this is so high on my list is because i like kind of built up so much anticipation for it because I think I I was looking forward to this like pre-pandemic it was a long time so I kind of considered that the ending is definitely something that like I find myself kind of having to toss up in my mind and consider but I think it's so strong throughout that it kind of it wins over for me um yeah, I feel like I don't really have much like eloquent to say about it. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Should be crazy. Shit do be crazy. Bitches be crazy. Sorry. Bitches be crazy. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, it's a very, it's a, it is a very wild story at its core, but and I and I do think that it has a lot to say based off of that for sure. I don't know, PJ, did you have any thoughts? I know you watched it as well. Yeah, that was fine. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> That's no, I expected it to be. I thought it was weirdly boring. Interesting. I yeah, I don't know. We don't. I I appreciate that you guys got more out of it than I did. But yeah. Yeah. That's all and that's mean. fine. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. We healthily yes. disagree. With Have you read another. the Twitter thread? Um, I thought about reading it before watching it, but I decided not to. You um, should read it just like for fun. It's, just for fun. It's a fun afternoon activity. <laughs> it is. If you have an hour or two to spare. Yeah. Oh, what I did think was interesting, not to get, like, too into this, but I didn't know that the that uh, Riley Keough's character had made a counter-Twitter thread explaining, yeah. like, quote-unquote, her side. Yeah, I've read summaries of the whole back and forth. Yeah, I didn't know that there was a back and forth, which was interesting, yeah. so I'm glad that they touched upon that a little bit, especially because it, like, <laughs> it's, like, so ridiculous. It's really young, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, that's all I'll say about that. Yeah. Cool. All right, so then... Um, our eights and our sevens all together um, are shared later yeah. down in the list. So we'll jump to Maddie's number six, um, which is 
it's beans. Um, let me pull up real quick just because I feel like I'm not talk good at talking off the cuff. So I'm going to like kind of look over my bullet points from my top 10 list. But I'll start off with an anecdote, which is I had seen Censor at Sundance in January. And then I took a class that was um, based around SIF and film festivals. And so part of that class, we had to watch some films for SIF. Um, and I really wanted to rewatch Censor because I didn't know when it was going to be coming out um, like to stream. So I wanted to watch it again and analyze it more thoroughly. But... <laughs> In classic Maddie fashion, I waited until the last minute. Um, yeah, and all the tickets were sold out, which at the time I was kind of like, oh, womp, womp. However, there's a reason that Censor Love You is in my honorable mentions, and this is number six on my list, so it's interesting that that ended up happening. But this is a semi-autobiographical coming-of-age film um, by Tracy Deer. I'm not positive if it's her directorial debut. I think it might be, but I'm not going to say for sure. Um, and it's based upon her real life, which is like, uh, I'll get into that later. It's like part of why I love this film so much, but it's based on a young girl named Beans, and she is a member of the Mohawk Nation in Canada, and she lives on a reservation in Quebec. And during the 90s, there was uh, this period of time called the Oka crisis which focused upon I think it was like they were trying to build a golf course on uh sacred like lands golf. yeah a golf course of all things upon like sacred mohawk lands and there was this really intense standoff on this bridge that connected the reservation to the mainland um and the reason why I love this film so much is because to me, it's what coming-of-age films should be, focusing upon, like, real-life people that go through real-life issues, um, and especially something as, like, traumatic as this. I think that she's supposed to be, like, 13 in this film, and it's also, like, there's this undercurrent of her deciding whether, like, she should keep going to school on the reservation or if she should go to a public school with, like, um, a predominantly white population, and... It's just so sad that there's not more coming-of-age films like this. It really is what a coming-of-age film should be. And it's the market is so oversaturated with coming-of-age films that just keep saying the same thing over and over again, which is really unfortunate. Um, and then movies like this just get kind of swept under the rug, which I think is a tragedy because it's it's such a good film. Um, I, has anybody else here seen it? Mm -mm. It's, it's really... it's really really devastating um and just you can tell how personal it is to Tracy Deer she is so talented and like the heart that went into this film is very palpable and it leaves you feeling like completely eviscerated emotionally um and also like technically it's really good but I think that the emotions are what really played through for me and I highly recommend it for everybody. I purchased it immediately on Apple TV because I was like, I have to like make sure that I have my hands on this and I can watch it whenever. But also the main actress, I forget what her name is, but she's like kind Kia of Tio Tarbell. Yeah, she's becoming like a she's going to be live action Katara. Yeah, she's be, she's gonna become a big thing. Yeah, 
Or she was... No, she was, good for her, just that show. Yeah, <laughs> no, we, we don't have to get into that. But, like, overall, the point is, like, she's, like, up and coming for sure. And I'm really excited because she's really talented for being so young. I really loved it. Nice. That's what I say to end all of these, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I would hope we all loved all the films on here. Yeah. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. we make a very boring podcast. Um, or a very interesting one. Uh, number six... Uh, we're gonna, uh, I, it's, it's my number six, I believe. It's my number eight. It's, um, uh, Stephanie's number eight, and that is Mass. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the directorial debut of Franz Krenz? Yes. Yes. Um, and, uh, I'll try to be very light on the premise of the film, which is essentially, um, two sets of parents sort of. They essentially get together to talk about an issue for uh, pretty much the I entire. I think you can say what it is. I mean, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to go. I don't want because I, I didn't personally know the I also full extent. Didn't know. And I think it's. I a, did I, know. I, I feel I like also it's a new. Okay. Okay, we're gonna say it. We're Just gonna say, say it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, spoiler ish alert, but essentially, they're so one of the one of the sets of parents um, is the are, are the parents of a uh, school shooter, and one of the the other sets is a uh, their their son. Their son was, was killed, killed by, by the shooter. Other, other, and yeah. so it's like. I think the whole premise is that they are meeting up as like an exercise to yeah. get their grief or to deal with their grief. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so the story sort of follows essentially this conversation and this this sort of is in the the realm of I think it's sort of in the vein of plays that are adapted into films. This mm-hmm. sort of feels like it where it's pretty much set in one location the direction isn't necessarily um, like what takes precedence. I think, I think the the performances in here and the writing are definitely what makes it such a special film in my eyes. Um, 100%. And I think that uh, the 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 I think that the right I think that Franz Kranz does an excellent job in terms of the script, um, and he does it, and I think he does a really smart thing in terms of very subtly directing the actors and not the camera because I feel like I feel like there would be there is a version of this movie out there in the hands of somebody else where they might take a chance to sort of over dramatize over cinematic ties I don't even know that's the word but essentially just like oh we need to go everywhere this needs to be moving 24 7 where it's just mm-hmm. I appreciate the movie and just like having four people talk in a room about a very, very traumatic period and a very emotional period in their lives and a very tough subject to talk about um, for in a very tight around 90 minute runtime. And um, I, 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 this was, I think, one of the most emotionally impactful movies that I saw. I cried. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I I was very very moved by by all of the performances Jason Isaacs, Jason um, Isaacs. and Dad Martha Puente Reed Bernie yes yeah. God yeah if you go on the letterbox for Mass there's this really weird thing that I've never seen on another letterbox entry where under the cast it has is as dot 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 and hello to Jason Isaacs it's on every film. That he's in. Really? Yeah. That's so funny. I didn't know that. Anyway. Yeah. Um, a really good film. Yeah. Especially like 
definitely performance wise and that takes place all in one day and in the same spot Mm -hmm. really well very difficult in its own way and it was just like there's a lot of grief and stuff and it was just like it was heavy and I thought it was really well done yeah um uh I watched it pretty early in the year and I haven't rewatched it even though I've been meaning to so like I'm not the freshest in memory um it lost me a little bit with like some of the symbolic things that it was trying to do and I it, like dragged just a tad for me it was like it's in my honorable mentions on my overall list that like we posted on the uh website but I think yeah every I just everything that you guys said I agree with it's really well acted and really well written um and yeah kind of what I was saying with pig where I like when people take kind of a simple subject and then just like mine that as much as they can for emotion and depth. Those are some of the films that I really, really love. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like this, that's, this is kind of the epitome of that because it is quite literally basically just them sitting at a table for yeah. an hour and a half talking. Um, and I think ordinarily any movie like that would, bore me out of my what out of my wits and I would lose interest very quickly if it wasn't something that was so topically relevant and like especially for people of our generation I think at like the very forefront of our minds more so than a lot of other people Mm -hmm. so yeah it's interesting to think about like if this had come out at a different time would it have done the same thing that it does for us now um but yeah, it does. It, it's very effective, I think, in what it does. Yeah, I mean, the movie, I've listened to Franz Krauss talk about why he wanted to direct the movie in addition to writing it. And it's a the reason he wrote it is because of he has a child and he thinks about that mm-hmm. more often than perhaps he would have thought, he said, many, many years ago. Um, and so I, I think it does a really good job sort of talking about the complexity and the rationale and the what-haves, and if you could have done this, and sort of working through all those emotions in what ends up being a very cathartic moment at the end that was was very powerful for me. This may be kind of weird, but I kind of hope that it's not really a movie that stands the test of time, because I hope that it's something that gets to, like, not, like, we don't have to think about Mm -hmm. the threat of, like, mass shootings all the time in the way that we do now. So I hope that future generations can maybe watch this movie and be, like... Appropriately horrified. Yeah, I don't know really what they're talking about in the way that we're, like, we're horrified because we know what it is and we've seen it happen over and over again. I hope that future generations can say, yes, this is sad, but on an abstract level. Um, PJ, I know you, you dis- you've also watched it. Um, I know you strongly disagree with at least my take from when we've talked, but did you have any thoughts? Um, I don't know. I don't want to rain on y'all's parade. No, you... I didn't really like the film that much. Okay. Um, I noticed I... you... Oh, sorry. No, what are you going to say? I was going to say I noticed you kind of nod along me, with me when I said, like, the symbolic stuff didn't really work for yeah, me and, like, the think, pace. Well, I think the thing that was most grating is, I mean, I do kind of disagree. I think the, the both of the par- performances of the uh, parents of the, the shooter were extremely grating and I absolutely <laughs> hated them um, which I like I can see how someone would get a completely different interpretation for that so I get it but 
they weren't really yeah. the ones that I was impressed with. I was more so impressed with the other yeah, ones. But I, I would just actively hated Anne Dowd's performance in this movie. Like, just was so grating to me. Um, and that's just a unique thing to me, I guess. I don't know. Well, but and, it's fair. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, it does. I think the most interesting thing about the movie is the narrative progression. Um, but I don't think. Um, it's nowhere near on this level, but like in the same vein as, like it's a significantly better film than this, so don't like take something out of this. But in the same vein as Don't Look Up, like films don't get passes just for having like mm-hmm. good politics. Um, and we'll go we'll go to um, our five. So we start sharing more and more films. So um, we'll go with Maddie, your number five, which is also. Um, PJ's number seven, um, Sydney's number seven as well, and what would that film be for y'all? That is, also I know I'm going to mispronounce his name as much as I love him, so I'm going to need some help, but uh, Dune by Denis Villeneuve. 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 Just Villeneuve. 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 Okay, two syllables, Villeneuve. (laughs) Okay, got it, thank you for that. Um, Who is like just, God, one of the my favorite directors of all time. Like, seriously, yes. the things that this man has done for cinema is just incredible. Um, yeah, interestingly enough, like, I went into the year, like, obviously being really excited about this film, and I've been excited about it for years. I remember, you know, sitting at my summer job in, like, 2019, reading, like, the, like, 400 pages of this book and just, like, plugging along through it because I was like, I have to finish it before it comes out, and then... Obviously, womp womp, that didn't happen anytime soon. Um, But I'm glad that it didn't come out on, like, as a virtual release, because I think that seeing this in theaters was very special. Yeah, and I think I definitely, like, I want to acknowledge, I think that I had the experience of this film that I did because I have read the books, and, like, I know what's going to come in the second part. And a lot of people have said they don't necessarily, like, like how world-buildy it is in the first one. Even though I think that's very integral to understanding the second one when all of the plot really starts to pick up. But, yeah, I don't really know if I even could say anything like that smart about this movie except that I just really enjoyed it. I think that all the... Every moving part works together so well from, like, the costumes to the cinematography to the music. I'm... I know I'm kind of different. This is a way I differ from the rest of this group, but I'm not really big into, like, film score and this is the first film that I, like, sat down and just listened to because it's really, really good. I've, I've not read the book. Um, I do kind of know what happens. Um, but um, it's interesting that you say, um, I feel like everyone who hasn't read the book does not, thinks the exact opposite and does not think it was super world-buildy or whatever. Really? Like, that was the th- one of the things that I was most impressed about the film is, you know, there isn't really... like scenes where they're like explaining this is what happens now and this Mm -hmm. is what this is and this is what this is it's really like told through the imagery and the tone that he creates you know like a good example is you know on the um what's the name of the race of baron harkonnen are they the harkonnens the harkonnens (laughs) yeah yeah on the harkonnen home planet like just the establishing shot in itself mm-hmm. like tells you so much about what you need to know about them and so yeah um, I was like the thing that like 
It's just the scale of the movie that yeah. like, I just This is like love. everything that a sci-fi movie should be. Yeah, right. true. Like yeah. This, the scale, the production design, and everything. From an art department standpoint, like this was just like the biggest so treat. It, yeah, and it goes to show why uh, production design and like costuming all that needs to be in the Oscars. Like I don't know why we're Ugh, not including that. Um, this is like case in point movie because I yeah. think like from an art department standpoint, that was a huge part of the world building and like making it what it is. The performances obviously were great. Cinematography scored great, but I I think art department shines. It's gotta movie. have that like substance. Something. Yeah, and even like quality. like the way everything comes together, it's like the scale also translates to sort of the narrative arcs and the, the the themes that it's really going for. Like, you feel the scale, like, I don't know, I don't know, do people know, like, what happens to Paul Atreides and stuff? No, that's a huge spoiler. Okay. All right, well, like, the Like, scale, at the very end of the Well, no, no like, story? what is going to happen? Like, part two. Uh, no, beyond avoid, part two. I would avoid part two. Yeah, beyond part two. Well, I would avoid... Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, okay, but, like... The scale of the weight of that, there's, like, some allusions to what is going to happen. And, like, it, like, it, like, is felt on the same level as, like, you know, like, just seeing, like, the giant ships, these mega structures, like, like, everything that feels so perfect to, like, this, you know, this landscape that's 10,000 years in the future, like, Mm -hmm. it feels exactly that. And, yeah, I don't know, they just, like, every technical aspect comes together Mm -hmm. perfectly, and every actor, like works to to accomplish the tone that mm-hmm. Denis is going for. Yeah. And so I I think the magical part and the reason it feels so epic is strangely because of how grounded the film is. Um like you uh, like if you listen to Denis and the sound designers and Greg Fraser, the cinematographer, they talk all about how grounded they wanted to make the movie feel because when you look at the film, it's so tactile in the quality of the costumes you feel like what you're seeing can be touched and it's something that I felt before. Um, You know, I think when we talk about epicness on a scale, um, there are a lot of directors who go for um, out of this world cinematography, shots that aren't necessarily accomplished by if somebody went down into, it felt like if somebody went down to Arrakis and just picked up a camera and looked around, that's how the movie felt. And I think that's what made me so immersed in the the story in the world building aspect that I found so magical. Um, this wasn't in my top ten um, because I think the thing with Denis is that he has had characters go through such an emotional arc in other stories, which is why I'm so excited for part two of the story. Is because I feel like with Dune, um, there's a lot in the book that isn't revealed even in part one that is that 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 sort of like signals like there are there are those allusions to even things that are in the first book Mm -hmm. um like i was talking to some friends and they didn't really realize dr yuan was a mentat um and that's not something that's really mentioned in the but it's a very important thing when you read the book Mm -hmm. about okay dr yua is a he's trained he's a sub doctor through fear hawat who is stephen mckinley anderson is the mentor yes and i mean i mean there's so much of that of those details in the world that like it is very hard and i think it was a smart thing to take out a lot of that exposition because i feel like it would have definitely bogged it down but in the moment i was like a little whiny about it yeah but i mean when you when you're watching the film 
someone, if you've read the book, there's so much to be taken and enriched by knowing that knowledge that it's very clear in the movie of what is happening if you know, if you have read the book. And I found... And, like, from what I understand, the book is told from the perspective of the future telling these stories. Yes, yes. exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you kind of can't translate that way of storytelling into film directly. Yeah, true. And so I feel like the way he's done it is just, like, translate the idea of them through, you know, all of the, you know, visual and sonic aspects that we talked about earlier. I mean, there's, like, it's a fantasy film. Like, yeah. if he, like, the level of unfamiliarity <laughs> where he, like, just doesn't explain it like if I think it would lose some of that glamour if he did try to explain it. Well, yeah, but at the same sure. yeah. at the same time, I think it works that he doesn't really explain it because yeah. that is the mindset that Paul is in. Like this yeah. is a completely foreign landscape, and like he has to yeah. learn all of this just yeah. as we are. And honestly, I think at its core, this is kind of what cinema is all about for me: is being so like immersed and experiencing like emotions that I can find resonance with in a completely unrelatable landscape and something that I've never seen before and like personally never experienced that is what is like very magical about film to me and it really just hits that it's really fundamental it's really just awe-inspiring like it's that's what it is it's just like you know like it's just like huge in obviously everything that's in it and like Mm -hmm. the weight of it being a huge budget movie and having this huge cast and like everybody who's attached with it but just like also like the experience of it is just like you just want to like bask in it i was like so we watched this in a screening like packed theater great experience it was also my birthday which was great yeah um awesome birthday gift and i remember being so like like it was part one so it wasn't all of dune it's like the first half of dune but i was like so sad the movie was over because i I wanted more and I honestly, I think that's, like, the reason it's not in my top ten was because I was so sad it ended. Especially the place that it ended. Was I know. Like, that was I when... I felt like that was, like, all right, things are getting started. Yeah. And then they end the movie there. And I was like, that makes sense. But I hate that it makes sense. Part one took me two months to read. Part two took me a day to read. Yeah. So I'm I'm really excited for the second one. I'm so one. excited. And like, especially <laughs> just, like, in the, like... The realm of blockbuster filmmaking that we live in now. Mm, yes. This is such a breath of fresh air mm-hmm. from just like the utter horseshit that we get fed. Yes. Yeah. I, I think I it's because he cares so much about the story. Oh, yes, yeah. true. He's, it's yeah. coming from a super fan. Like, Denis is the biggest dude nerd, and that comes through. And yeah. I think that's what makes it so special because he took the time. He like wanted to make things perfect. Yeah. He said, like, in an interview, I think he's like, he wanted his, like, younger self to be okay with, like, the choices that he made, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah I thought it was incredible. It really, it really lived up to oh, yeah. the hype, yeah. for me, for me, at least. Who all, he all, I'm just interested, who read it? Because I kind of thought I that you had read it. I read all six books. That's impressive, especially because I feel like it kind of goes downhill a little bit at some point. Um, the first three are solid. I think the last three are written by Frank Herbert's son. And yeah. So they, go, they, like, jump forward, like, 10,000 years randomly. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of know what happens. But yeah. And it goes I, the I'd like to read it. Rohan, have you read it? I've read part ones. Or, no, he's, sorry. He's in the camp I, of I, tried to and didn't. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've read 125 pages three different times. <laughs> nice. First, yeah, but I have not 
it's gotten to yeah, it. yeah. It's, I just it's hope they get to Messiah because that's what sounds the most interesting. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. The first, I think they could. Denny could do the first three and wrap it up pretty solid. Yeah. No, I think he talked about he was interested in the trilogy. I would love to see that so much. Yeah, but. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I think we'll I think we'll jump to um, PJ's number five, which is Azor. <laughs> yes, Azor. <laughs> he had have to, to have to check the notes. Yeah. I see. Gotcha. Well, five is the first one that we all like talk about. I yeah. So I'm pretty confident that nobody else has seen this one. You are. No, you I have checked. your confidence is fulfilled. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So this is it's by Swiss director, but it's set in Argentina um, in I think probably about 1980. Which, if you know anything about Argentina, in the late 70s and early 80s, it was a right-wing military junta supported by the U.S. Disappeared tens of thousands of people. Um, yeah, pretty pretty fucked up regime there. Um, and so, centers around um, this Swiss banker uh, named Ivan Deville, who goes there to replace his partner, who was sort of based there as the head of operations there, um, who sort of disappears under this slurry of whispered rumors and it's eventually becomes implied of why he is not there anymore but you don't really learn that till later but um so basically he's there to sort of pick up the pieces pick their business back up in the country um which considering he's a swiss private banker is basically in the business of working with the country's elite to siphon a local country's wealth out of the country in into these like offshore tax havens and things um, and so what the film constitutes it's really like composed of these little dramas like that sort of occur over the it's a really like it's I, I feel like I'm probably the only one who would like it here it's really dry and austere and there's no like grand flourishes of emotion really at any point in the film um, and it's just these little dramas where composed of these people who, you know, they imply everything, they never say what they mean, but their intentions are clear. And there's this like air of the violence and repression that lies under everything. And sort of as he gets deeper and deeper into this world, um, like the morality becomes more of a question and it, it sort of fades further and further away. Um, there's this really, really spectacular scene where he sort of goes to, like, on a client hunting mission, goes to this elite club called the Circle of Arms, which sort of like one of those, you know, rich men's, gentlemen's club or whatever. He ends up meeting with this priest who's sort of, you know, from the body language of the other characters in the scene, we can tell he's like, a feared, like respected figure amongst this elite, uh, this elite circle. He there's this ins- amazing scene where they sit down to, you know, discuss business, to buy some stocks, and there's this, like this little drama over um, the priest wants to open a forex contract in Uganda after a recent coup there, and. Like, there's this, I don't know, it'd be hard to explain too much, but this little drama that occurs there is just, it's like, it's really dry, but there's this layer of, like, the heightened emotions of, like, a a political thriller or a conspiracy thriller that lies underneath it, and it's all just, like, 
like heavily implied and you still feel it even with like sort of the dryness of the image and um, just all the performances are really, really spectacular and sort of this ends up as this like heart of darkness story about quiet evils that go unnoticed in the world and it's uh, it's just it's really spectacular i would highly recommend to anybody okay but yeah all right very sounds honestly very very interesting yeah Yeah. yeah it's interesting because it seems like something that's very like up your alley just in terms of like oh, yeah. what I know about you and what you're like interested in. And it's interesting because that might not appeal to everybody, but I think that's what's so special about some of these films is that they hate like there are niche films that work really well for some people and maybe not as well for others, but that doesn't mean that it that doesn't take away from the film. It just right. means that it's for certain people and not for certain people, and that's part of what I love about film is that like things will eventually find their audience. <laughs> I do want to say one more quick story about it. Um, it sort of originates, the director, he's Swiss, obviously, mm-hmm. and sort of originates on movie, which is what the the, the, the film is on. Okay. Um, there's like a 20-minute interview after the film that you can watch with the director. Um, and he sort of talks about how the idea for the film originated from, he's reading his old, his, the journals of his grandfather, who himself was a private banker, um, and he visited Argentina in the nineteen in nineteen eighty, and he was like just fascinated by the fact that it's super bland, and he does not he doesn't mention anything about what's happening there. He's just like, oh, I had a lovely time. Um, I did this. I read the Wall Street Journal, whatever. Um, and so he's like interrogating, like, you know, what goes unmentioned there. Um, and so yeah, that's, that's actually very cool. Yeah, it's it's yeah, mm-hmm. it's really really good, and the ending is absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, so I highly recommend. Cool. Nice. All right, then I guess we'll we'll jump to the next number five, um, which is my number five, which I don't think anybody else has in their top ten. I had it in my top ten last year, actually. Gotcha. So okay, kind of. I didn't. Kind of I, didn't get, I didn't get a chance to watch it till this year. Um, yeah, I saw it at like some really weird obscure film festival last yeah, year. Yeah, I saw I saw it like I think April twenty twenty one, and by then it was Shiva Baby. Shiva Baby. Shiva Baby. Amazing film. Um, I I just say fuck yes to this movie just in general. It's um, so good. Directed by Emma Selig- uh, Seligman, I think yeah. is her is her name. Um, she's 24 years old, crazy, first of all. Oh my gosh, um, yeah. uh, this is based off of her grad school thesis at NYU, made for an incredibly small budget and set in pretty much one location. Um, it follows, uh, this woman, I forget what her name is, but it's played by Rachel Sanat, who's, I think, in, booked, like, a lot of projects Oh, she's, this. she's icon. Yeah. I love her. Yeah. Uh, her name's Danielle in the movie. Danielle in the movie. Gotcha. So, follows Danielle, um, who, uh, has a sugar daddy, um, and is essentially, um, has to go to this, um, Shiva, uh, which I believe is, like, a, like, a, sort of, like, a, few, uh, like, a it's Jewish, like a, a yeah, Jewish wake. Jewish wake. Okay. Yeah. It's a, good way of putting it a jewish wake and there um she has to deal with the pressures of her family not uh, of not knowing certain things but her sugar daddy shows up and there is a lot of conflicting interest in terms of who wants to who, who knows what and what she's trying to make sure she keeps her life separate and um as uh, as an indian uh straight guy 
Um, none of the demographics here <laughs> line up with mine, but I will say the anxiety of huge family gatherings is something that I have been akin to since I can remember life. Um, in that having a lot of people just around is anxiety inducing, let alone having multiple identities and sort of putting on different faces for different people. Mm -hmm. Um, and how thrilling, no, it's very anxious, but when you're watching it, the movie is, is very thrilling in the, ah, nah, don't look at her. Don't look at like what everybody's saying. And I think. I think I, I did get a chance to rewatch it. And um, second watch, it's not necessarily as polished as I thought, but the story still very much resonates, especially with the climax. Um, it's a very, very funny movie as well, I should mention. There's a lot of like character actors in the film. Fred Millamond, um is one that I've, is a guy that I've seen a lot in, if you Cy watch Evelman. a serious man, Cy Evelman in A Serious Man. Uh, Molly Gordon. She's in Booksmart. Yeah, she's yeah. in Booksmart. She's, good. she's been in a lot of different Yeah, she's, she also... Is she also the one in Ma? Yeah, I think she is. She's the one in Ma, right? Okay. Icon. Yes, the iconic... On the iconic Octavia Ma. Spencer. <laughs> yes, that we've all love and cherish. And so... I'm number one this year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert! <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was, I was very pleasantly surprised, very inspired by the filmmaking and the effort that went into this film and from both Rachel Sanat and Emma Seligman who both put a lot into the writing and the, the final product, I am very excited for yeah. what they do next. Yeah. Um, I don't know, I think PJ and Maddie, you yeah. both watched this I, film? Yeah. I will say on the off chance that either Emma Seligman or Rachel Sanat is listening to this, um, I am free on Thursday if you want to hang out when I am free on Thursday. Um, I <laughs> love them. They are so amazing and yeah, I just like so talented. But yeah, what I really love about this film is it I think falls into a niche that I find a lot of my own writing falling into, which is comedy driven with an emotional story at the heart um because I feel like that's just like I use humor as kind of like a coping mechanism in my own life so it is very emotionally resonant with me um in that way yeah I I think what I part of what I love about it is that it is very you know ingrained in a very specific like Jewish American culture and which is not something that like I have any experience with, but it still is resonant with me. You know, like you were saying, like you don't like identify with the main character on any sort of like surface level, but she is somebody that is e really easy. You can very easily find a piece of yourself within her, mm -hmm. which I think is like the mark of good writing. And I think that there is a reason that Emma Seligman is getting so much acclaim for this and has so much success even at the tender age of 26 yeah. which is basically like a baby yeah. in a filmmaking in a filmmaker's yeah. career um and I think it's really well deserved I think that this movie is really really good and I definitely need to rewatch it I haven't really watched it at all this year but it did make a it really stuck with me um when I watched it last year and I, I was really happy to see it on your list. Yeah. I, I liked it a lot, too. Um, I was obviously wasn't as huge a fan as you. Didn't, like, connect to it in the same way. But I definitely, like, 
appreciated sort of the, the building stress of the story and then how it gets resolved. Yeah. And it's really well made. So. Yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a very impressive debut feature film um, from somebody. And so... It's also based on her, like, I'm pretty sure graduate thesis short film. Yeah. Which yeah. is interesting because a lot of films that I've seen recently that I really love that have been, like, Festival Darlings especially, have been uh, based off of short films. Yeah. It's a very interesting pipeline. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it served her well because it got her financing to actually make the film, even yeah. though it's, of, like... For a film, for a feature film, I think it was like the budget was two hundred and fifty thousand. Was um, it even that? I thought it was closer. I mean, it was it was less than five because I, I I was looking on Twitter before this. She won the the movie won the Cassavetes Award at the at the Spirit yeah. Awards just now. So it has to be less than half. Two hundred thousand just now. Two hundred thousand. Yeah, it was earlier today. Like whenever the that Spirit, happened today. Yeah, the Spirit Awards oh, are, are either are happening or happened one of the two. But anyway, um, I thought that they. They didn't change it to be next to the Oscars like it typically is. No. Oh. No. Nah. Um, but anyway, yes, definitely, definitely check it out. I think it's on HBO Max right now, which is great. Um, so would highly, highly, highly recommend that. I will be watching. Yeah, that's yes, great. For soon. sure. Um, yeah, I was so happy to see that people liked it and like had it on their list this year because. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely worth the watch. All right, so we'll move on to Sydney's number five, um, which is, and it's PJ's number eight, which is Licorice Pizza, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, PTA, Parent Teacher Association. Uh, there is a lot in this film that will probably go over as a group. The things that I liked about it, um, I thought it was fun. I just thought it was really fun. It's insanely fun. Mm-hmm. It's so fun. Um, I saw this over Christmas with my family, and I just I laughed the entire most mostly the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, the score, the soundtrack is amazing. The yeah. soundtrack just like drew me into the film, and I have not yeah. stopped listening to it since. Like truly, it's like on. I was listening to it on the way here. Yeah, mm-hmm. number one on my Spotify. Um, yeah, let me roll it by wings. <laughs> The life on Mars needle drop is Ugh. fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's so, it's just, it's so good. And I think just Paul Thomas Anderson has like, he does a really good job of kind of like transporting you into that mm-hmm. time. And, yeah. um, you know, I can yeah. feel like the warmth of the valley. It was just, it was really cool. There was also a lot of running, which I am such a huge fan <laughs> of people running in films. And yeah. like, it, it, there was so much of that. So if you're also a fan of people running in films, go see this but movie. But specifically with that too, it's like it has like a symbolic importance. Yes. With like mm-hmm. their relationship specifically. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, speaking of them, the performances, all of the performances were so, so good. Yeah. Um, it was really nice seeing Philip Seymour Hoffman's son, Cooper yeah. um, Hoffman, playing. He's so good too. Yeah, especially, yeah. you know, carrying on his dad's legacy of like shared filmography with PTA. It was it was really special. And his hands on the hips too. Isn't PTA his godfather? Uh, I probably. probably. I think that's probably right. that. yeah. We can just say that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. So it's, it's true. It's, it's now the law. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just such a big Cooper Hoffman fan. Um, yeah. and also the entire Heim family, uh, that was amazing. Yeah. I knew yeah, they, that was fun. I they probably, you know, I mean I feel like 
like Haim and PTA are like such they're just like so intertwined together uh, just from like their relationships and also like their professional work together on music videos and stuff so it was oh, really good seeing seeing them in that and Alonaheim was like phenomenal also all of the little side characters I thought all of the little side characters like made this movie oh, I yeah. really enjoyed all the performances Bradley Cooper freaking kills me <laughs> Um, he was so, 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 so good. And, um, Sean Penn was good. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was was just, it was so funny. And, um, yeah, I just, I I mentioned some more of the side characters. Yes. Go ahead. Um, yeah. Uh, Skylar Gisondo, who, uh, oh my gosh. Yes. He plays the other child actor. (laughs) Yeah. Um, the, whatever the, the movie that, um, Cooper Uh, Hoffman goes to New York to market for. Yes. And he's just, he's so funny. (laughs) He's unbelievable. Yeah. Like, the Skylar Gisondo cinematic universe is, it keeps growing and I love it. It keeps growing and I love it. Yeah. Um, another one I want to mention is, um, Harriet Sansom Harris, who mm-hmm. plays the yes. casting director. That is yes. my favorite um, scene. Yes. Just like this that like, scene. strange <laughs> intensity that makes the scene just absolutely hilarious. And yeah, she just kills. The, she's in it for one scene yeah. and yeah. it's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and she, then the last one I want to say is Tom Waits, who plays the yeah. producer yeah. who just the, like fucks around with mm-hmm. Sean Penn yeah. in the restaurant. And yeah. he's just like, he's basically just Tom Waits. It's awesome. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely the side characters are just like that's like he's such a master at that. Like yeah. every all of his films, it's just like all the side characters are like they just breathe life into the film. And, yes. I mean, honestly, it is very hard to say in a PTA movie this per- this person gave an awful performance. There's, I I feel like that's the thing in PTA movies is that every single he knows who to cast and he knows how to get the best performance out of them yeah, even if they're the side characters yeah. yeah um and yeah like this movie is fun pta is by far my favorite director of all time i think there are a couple of things that hold back the movie which we can talk about yeah. in terms of some of the choices he makes aren't really necessarily can i say some good things about the movie before we do that yes go, oh, ahead. go. yeah because yeah. like i just think there's a, just an incredibly deep level of sincerity that he treats everything mm-hmm. and every character in the film with. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, like the way he recreates his memories in this time period, which obviously lives very strongly in his mind. Mm-hmm. But like, I mean, I'm sure this is where the disagreement is going to come. But like, I think the way he portrays this relationship that they have, where like for Gary, he's got one foot in adulthood, um, sort of um, in the way he acts in both. Um, like in sort of his professional activities um and you know alana she has one foot still in childhood because she's just sort of this listless lost soul who doesn't know she hasn't been able to make her way into her adult life yet Mm -hmm. and she's sort of angrily resisting it and the way that like their relationship is sort of is the undercurrent of the whole film but it's sort of like they weave in and out of each other's paths in really interesting ways and forces them to consider how they value each other's attention of each other and also others' attention for them, you know, from people of their own, you know, generation. And it's just like, it just comes out for this really interesting relationship which could have turned out really badly, I think, but, like, feels incredibly sincere and heartfelt and sort of, I don't know, beyond what you, like, would read on a Wikipedia page and say, like, this is, oh, this is bad and dumb. Oh, no, I mean, I I think... PTA 
every PTA screenplay I think is special because he's always writing to something. He's never writing for a structure that he has in his head. Um, and he talks about that a lot where like he doesn't really know what he's trying to say. He just has these characters and he just writes and writes and writes until he tries to find something very deep and poetic about the human experience. And I think their relationship, um, I don't buy into the dis the, the negative discourse necessarily of their relationship a hundred percent, but I do think that both the characters are really well thought out, really well written, and there isn't, I don't think, any malice in sort of the thought process behind creating the characters and their relationship oh, at all. all. Yeah, I'll... Can I say something nice about the movie? Um, <laughs> then can I go, because I have a lot to say that I don't um, forget it. <laughs> I, I went in, and I, I liked Alana Haim's character because it was like, she was obviously acting different depending on... Who like you said, she has like one foot still stuck in childhood. And so it was super interesting to me how she would change the way she was acting depending on who she was around. Um, and then I was it's also... really relatable, by the way. <laughs> and, right, she's like working through how she feels uh-huh. about like the male attention that she receives, I feel like. Yeah, With the different exactly. characters and how yeah. she, they give it to her in different ways. You yeah, know? and then I was also... I think this is very much Alana Haim's movie. Oh, and sure. not. Oh yeah, like, no. I went no, in no, thinking no. that they would be like equally featured, but it's definitely her movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, she shines. Yeah. And my personal opinion was that Cooper Hoffman's character was really fucking annoying. Yes, yeah, so and I was like, fuck him. He is so fucking annoying. I mean, it's very Cooper Hoffman himself. It seems very nice and sweet and everything, but I like, I liked the. I think the humor, I think, has been touched on a few times, was which was really nice. And then just Alana Haynes, like, for me, it was all about her and how she was navigating everything, and which I thought was done really well. Can't yeah, wait to see I, her in more stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is, like, a very... I This is interesting. I thought I was going to, like, really like this movie because I really love the time period. And, like, obviously the soundtrack was, like bone chillingly amazing yeah there were just like a couple sticking points for me i think i feel like i'm in the minority but the relationship really just did not work for me and i think it's because i come from the perspective of like a woman in her 20s in a transitionary period and like oh yeah i just found him like to be very annoying and i cannot even conceive of ever finding a 15 year old to be attractive in any sense of the word it just like kind of is like very upsetting to me to think about um so like that that was definitely a sticking point for me um there was also some like jokes that I didn't really get why they were in there and I think we probably all know what we're talking what I'm talking about but I like also don't feel like it's really my place to take up space in that decor discourse and also like it's been said many many times in many different places so I don't think that I really need to touch upon it but like the in terms of what I did like I did think it was like fun uh the first five minutes the writing this was pointed out to me by my screenwriting professor but that is excellent writing in the first five minutes it is just it tells you everything you need to know and it's really a master class on how to craft a screenplay and yeah like I said like you guys all said the performances were what kept it going for me I never found myself like getting bored with it or anything it was like very entertaining throughout um especially parts were just like so I was kind of like what's happening like the 
thing about the uh, when they were at the restaurant and like a golf course and the stunt that they did, I was <laughs> like and getting like arrested randomly. Yeah, <laughs> like I like, yeah I I definitely never found myself getting bored. Um, but yeah, I think it was really like the performances that carried it through for me. I didn't know that uh, Haim had. Like connections with Paul Thomas Anderson in the past. So he's directed like all of their music videos. I did not know that. So this is actually loosely based on his relationship with their mom. So he, his, like, the Monaheim. (laughs) Well, not the movie, but his connection. His connection in real life. Yeah. Mom, like, Monaheim was, like, basically one of his teachers. His art teacher. His art teacher. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Because. Yeah, it felt like it came out a little bit out of nowhere for her to star in this, but I enjoyed watching her. That entire dinner scene with the boyfriend. Oh my god, that was just like some of the funniest stuff I've seen in a long time. I was so mad with how little screen time Skylar saw. Yeah, he was so funny. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that was that was great. Also, I'm just a big Skylar Jasando fan, but yeah. Okay, you mentioned that you were like a fan of the period, but as someone who is like completely unfamiliar with that period of time it was also very fun yeah interesting to yeah and i like how i like how they would like touch upon things that were happening historically in that time like the uh like was the it oil, like the, the, the oil embargo yeah that was interesting um especially because like you didn't really need to like understand it to know what was happening but just like having that little like touch of historical knowledge was interesting um and like can kind of inform the way you see it but also like you don't necessarily need to know about it but zero concept of what decades are before 2000 yeah in america yeah i generally find movies where like you know there's that huge list on letterbox that's like nothing happens yeah but the vibes i genuinely i genuinely huh that guy follows me on letterbox wow what guy is it Darren Carver. He's the guy who makes all the Darren Carver Balsiger or whatever. He's the guy who makes all those lists. Whatever. Anyways, yeah, that was the that was like one that I was really popular on Letterboxd and it kind of falls in that category for me. And I'm a big fan of that kind of movie. It's like I don't have a problem with that. I think that if you make it right and it's like technically well done and it's well written, then I think that it can work perfectly. And it, it kept me entertained throughout, and that's like all I think you really need to do with a movie. Yeah, if I can just say one more thing. Um, obviously, everyone's going to come out of this with different ways of seeing it, but I think what the film the film knows that it has to justify what's happening, like why she's doing this, like why like they're falling into this, you know, quote-unquote relationship together. Um, and I think it takes its time and is really meticulous in doing that, and I think otherwise yeah. the film wouldn't work. Um, obviously, you know, we can disagree on that, but... Um, yeah, I think that's what the film is really building towards is like, why are these people? It's really, I, it's even like less about like attraction. It's more of just like, like a, just like a serendipitous conjunction of energies. That, yeah. Like they come together and they're sort of naturally drawn together. Are and, you running towards each other? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know, like, the, what, you, what you were saying about it, I think, and, like, where they are at different points in their life is not necessarily something that I got upon viewing, but, like, it adds more depth to it for me. Still mm-hmm. doesn't really hit the way that I would like for it to, but that's okay. Like, I still think it's, like, a... It was very, like, middle of the pack for me. And compared to, like, some of the other things that I saw this year, middle of the pack is a good place to be. Yeah. yeah. I think... Yeah, I love it. Freaking soundtrack was just amazing. Yeah, I also knew nothing about the soundtrack. Oh, 
It's like, also Johnny Greenwood scores, so it's like... Yeah, oh, uh, yes. I did not know who that man was until this year. Shut up, Johnny not, Greenwood. I do not know this man. He's well, everybody here is like, oh my god, that needle drop, what a banger, and I'm just like, I haven't heard of any of these before. Well, I don't, I'm not like a 70s music guy either. I was just like, it sounds fucking great. It's so, so good. There was this really weird, this is kind Stumble of tangential, down. but I like shazam a song. I'm a huge Beatles fan, like... Probably too much so, but I shazam this one song and I was like, I'm gonna listen to that later. And then afterwards, I found out it was Paul McCartney. It was Let Me Roll It, and I yeah. was like, Yes, Which, that song works so well in that scene. It does. It, it, it yeah, no, it does. And um, yeah, and I listened to it like so much. And then I found out. I like looked up. I was like, Is Paul McCartney touring? And he wasn't. And then just a couple days later, he announced that he's coming to Seattle, and that was really weirdly serendipitous for me. But stoked about that. Tangential, but anyways. Cool. So I think we can move on to our 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 last number five, which is Stephanie's, which is also I think on Sydney's number six. Yeah, Sydney's number six and Maddie's number seven, which is the French Dispatch. Yeah. So Stephanie, explain why the French Dispatch. Um, I'm he. I love Wes Anderson. A lot. He's definitely up there. I think amidst a lot of films that are really, like, heavy content-wise, any Wes Anderson, honestly, it can be very refreshing in the sense, like, and I, like, watched my first Wes Anderson films this past summer. Um, I watched, like, four in June or in July or something, and I was like, wow, I love this guy. And so watching this one... Like, I went in knowing the vibe I was going to expect, and I, like, I got everything I asked for and more, and it just was, like, like amidst heavy content movie stuff that can be really depressing sometimes, mm-hmm. it was just, like, it had the color palette, the way that he does his camera thing, the dolly shots, the tracking shots and everything, and it had everything that I wanted, and the cast and everything, and it was... It had that, like, Wes Anderson quirky, quirky comedy that went with it, and I just found it, like, how can you not absolutely adore that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not, like, a huge, I'm not even, like, a huge Wes Anderson person. I tend to like his more, like, what I call, like, humanist films, which mm-hmm. is kind of interesting. Like, I feel like I kind of have contrary That's opinions. That's true. This one's, like, not as close to that on the spectrum. Like, the Darjeeling Limited, I like, which is kind of, like... I like that one, too. Yeah, but, like, I like in the broader, like, populace, I think that that's, like, kind of a less-liked one in oh, Wes Anderson's sure. filmography. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not typically into his, like, really highly stylized ones as much, but I really did enjoy this. Um, I especially liked how much it showed us of actors who I don't really typically consider to be comedic actors... Um, stepping into a comedic lens, like, yeah, like, Francis McDormand does basically what Francis McDormand does in any other movie. Um, not to say that she's, like, one note or anything. I think I would rather eat my own shoe than say that Francis <laughs> McDormand is one note. But it works really, really well in shows that she has, like, serious comedic chops. And, like, yeah, this whole cast is just, like, amazing. Yeah, every and, time he comes back with more people, I'm like, yes. yeah. I think... 
Jeffrey Wright steals the show. Oh, yeah, I only sure, watched this yeah. recently, and I really have to say that he did like. And yeah. so I yes. keep noticing in him in more things than now, and he's just like he's incredible. I, yes, I'm such a huge Jeffrey. Wright. Yeah. Oh yeah, I could just have him in everything, and I would be so happy. Um, but yeah, I also love that this is broken into vignettes. I kind of think that like. I mean, a, do we all have a favorite of the three? Not including Ooh. Can we remind everyone what they're Okay, so the first one is the art exhibit. Well, there's also a little, like, prologue, okay. which is, like, Will- Owen Wilson's oh, little Wilson. tour. Yeah. Yeah. Owen Wilson's bike bike tour. Um, Benicio Del Toro's prison art exhibit. Um, the, uh, the, the Timothy Chalamet as a yeah. revolutionary. And then um, the, the, dinner the dinner and the, the yeah. dinner with the police chief. I would say the Chalamet one's probably the weakest. The yeah, show. I was gonna say I think you like just how in love I am with Timothy Chalamet. People would expect me to say that one, but I think actually Benicio del Toro's yeah. one was yeah. my favorite. Yeah, I, I yeah. Agree with that. It also just had some of the best shots in it, like that shot of him standing in front of the yellow background, throwing the like grain meal up in the air. I just, like so the sequence where the prisoners. Oh, well, he, he tries to, like, fight Adrian Brody in a wheelchair. Yeah. <laughs> that one always makes me laugh. Yeah. I mean, I have my favorite moment at the movie where it's, like, is there, like, an ejections, like, at a wedding, and then Adrian Brody just jumps up and starts defending for, like, when, when they ask yeah. for Benicio Del Toro's appeal. I forget what the exact... The delivery was so good. I was just, like, that was, like... Jeffrey Wright also has a line. It's, he's, like, lost in the police station, which made me laugh really hard. He was It was, like... Ah, poor cartography. The the curse of the homosexual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, but... It was just, like... I mean, like, of the three, the the Jeffrey Wright one, I think it's my favorite. I think the Jeffrey Wright one is my favorite, I think I, nice to end Well, because the thing is, I think that, uh, of the of the stories, I think that one has the most emotional resonance. Um, like, I think this is much more stylized than... Yeah. Uh, like it's this is when people say this is the much the most Wes Anderson movie of Wes Anderson movies. Yeah, I, would, I would agree. I think yeah. he he definitely like owns he his Wes style. Wes Anderson, um, suicide. Yeah, and <laughs> sometimes I, fi- I I went I went on a whole marathon, and I think sometimes it's just the emotional aspect of the story works less, and so we criticize the style as the reason why. I agree yeah. with that. And so I think of the three, Jeffrey Wright sort of. The loneliness of being a journalist, um, it, which was like in sort of that the solitary confines of being a writer, I think is touched on just ever so slightly to the point where I find it, I found it very like poetic in in a certain sense. But but you know what? what the chef says, I think really does most of the. What is really what gets me, I think, in the last one, and then also the animated sequence. The animated sequence I think does fun. like sixty five percent of the work for me. What does the chef say? Um, so at the end, he's all like, he, he like eats the poison poison thing that they use, and then he's like, I tasted a new flavor at my oh, age. Yeah. That's like a rare thing. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just very sweet. But you know what's interesting that you say about like the solitariness of being a... The sol- solidarity? Solitude. Solitude. Solidarity. I was like, that's not, that's not the right word. That, that is Al Pacino's yeah. Um, The solitude of being an artist, which is interesting... Because you know what I think the first one touches on is that same thing, which is why it stuck with me so much. But yeah, um, yeah. and then also, of course, like it's just funny. 
It's yeah. It's funny. it was just delightful to me. I must. Uh, I have to maintain journalistic neutrality. Yeah, and it's interesting because like the main, the thing that like ties it all together, which is Bill Murray dying. Like I almost kind of like forget about. I know, right? Um, and I can't tell if that's like a good thing or a bad thing for a framing device, but I enjoyed it. Like nonetheless. this, this film is good. Is good for the people who are like already Wes Anderson films and you go in like looking for the things about Wes Anderson films that you really like. It's very unapologetically him, which yeah. is what I, I would appreciate. not start anyone out, which I think is a mistake I might have made with all my friends. But <laughs> yeah, I would not start anyone out on French Dispatch, but once there are a couple movies in, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but. I think it it, it 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 was it's certainly one of my more favorite ones, um, and I found it very a very fun one as well. Yeah, I'm glad to know I have a fellow fan of the Darjeeling Limited because I feel like that movie does not get the love, love that trains. it needs. Yeah. Yeah, this one I liked French Dispatch or French Dispatch. Yes, I always yes. mix it up with Exit, but yeah, because <laughs> that other movie also came out the same year. But. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I really liked it stylistically and tonally. It's just I have no respect for a journalist, so <laughs> I didn't care about that part of the story at all. <laughs> but Jeffrey Wright. He's great. So. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Awesome. So that was part one of our podcast. Um, if you're interested in listening to part two, that should be out soon. Um, but if you like this conversation and you want to hear more, you can follow us at Film Club UW on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to hear more podcast episodes, you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Um, that's going to be it for this part, um, but do check out part two where we cover films four through one on all our lists. Thanks for listening. See you in the next one.